Welcome to a new year, but also a new decade, right? That's a whole new decade. 2020s, the 20s. I remember when I was young and I remembered, well, in 2020, uh, what, what's going to be different? Uh, this is back when I was a teenager and I was thinking, man, a lot of things. And I wondered, will my parents be alive? That's one thing I remember asking. They're not, but that was uh, just an interesting thing. New Year's often bring uh, new resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys have made some New Year's resolutions? Some of you have. Uh, it, sometimes it brings organizations new times to think about what am I going to be committed to or what are we going to recommit ourselves to. Sometimes those resolutions and those commitments last forever, and other times they last for a few days, right? I know when I go to the gym, it's going to be more crowded for a week or two, maybe a month. Uh, and we, we tend to keep those resolutions um, until the, the, the cheesecake at Sullivan's seems better than going to the gym, right? Uh, and at that point, we kind of change them. So commitments and resolutions, uh, they're the things that we are uh, resolute to do. And the word resolute, I look that up, and it says uh, unwavering. What are we unwavering about? Uh, what are we purposed to do? What are we determined to do? Um, those are the things that should bring us unity in the church and in the body and bring us purpose, things that we rally around, if you want to say, things that set our course of our action, perhaps for Living Hope Church. Uh, the things that people rally around are the things that bring people together, right? Clemson football, uh, Alabama, Georgia, other places, Ohio State, other, other football teams. That's one thing. The things that we rally around, they bring together people, and they bring together the body of the church also, but the things that we rally around are also things that tear our body apart, right? They can bring unity, but they can bring disunity. Why? Well, maybe we're not rallying around the same things, right? We're not rallying enough around one particular thing or another, and so we have to ask our question, what should be our rallying point? What should be the banner that uh, brings us together? Should it be uh, racial reconciliation? Now, it's a big banner. We hear about it today a lot. Should it be eliminating sex trafficking? I have a good number of my RUS students that they talk about that all the time, um, constantly. Should it be foreign missions? Should that be our rallying point? Uh, should it be ministry to widows and orphans? We've just had James 1 and talked about that. Should that be the thing that we rally around? Uh, should it be taking care of the underserved, uh, the people who don't have enough food, enough clothing, they don't... They're hungry and the poor and the homeless. Uh, should we rally around having a, um, a flourishing children's ministry? Or should we rally around a vibrant youth ministry? We don't have a lot of youth, so that might not be for us yet. Uh, but should we be about those kind of things? Um, should we be focused on uh, those kind of things? Or should we be focused on having more Bible studies and more opportunities to learn and grow in our theology? Should we take up political banners? And you're like, hmm, those are a lot of good questions. But there are a lot of different rallying points that if we don't have the, the same ones and we're not focused together, it can tear us apart. Uh, that splits churches all the time, right? People leave churches very quickly when the rallying point of the church is not the rallying point that they're interested in. And so these things pretty much matter. So um, what keeps us focused? What keeps us together? Uh, what keeps us guided? What keeps us excited? And um, maybe one of the things that we mentioned already, maybe all of them. 
And, uh, but I want to ask a question, is there something more foundational than any one of those or than all of those together uh, that should keep us founded and focused and excited and guided and unified? I, wanna, I want you to hear this, first of all, that the gospel speaks directly to a lot of these in that list, right? And it speaks us into a lot of those areas in this list. It might not speak as directly uh, to a, a flourishing children's ministry or a a happening youth group, but it certainly speaks that we're required to train our children in the ways of the Lord, right? It does that. Uh, so I would suggest to you um, that the banner that we wave, um, that we're unwavering about, is bigger than any one of those, and I think it's the banner to our commitment to the Word of God. It's a bigger banner. It certainly includes some of those other banners, and they're important. The Word of God speaks into those particularly, and it speaks us into those particularly, uh, but those things can tear us apart when we uh, are in a church that doesn't rally hard enough around one thing or another thing, and I think that the Word of God can help us rally around any of those things that God brings providentially into our body. Does that make sense? So as He brings those things in, we rally around the truth that God speaks into those situations. We certainly want to be about them. Uh, but there's a, a more fundamental rallying point. Um, so welcome to a new decade. That's interesting. On Tuesday, or Wednesday this past week, I was at a Bible study with some men that I've been doing a, a study with for, it's either 12 or 14 years. We can't figure out when we started. We're old. Um, but it's a long time. Toward the end of that time, one of the men, Don Hall, some of you might know him, said, I wonder what uh, the new decade will bring. And then he started listening. He said, probably none of our parents will be living. I was like, hmm. Probably one of us, very likely, will not be living. The men around that table. Uh, probably we'll have some very, very difficult situations like one of the men's uh, sons was murdered this past year. And Don said, we're probably going to have some of those major issues like that in the next 10 years. Uh, probably some of our children will be married and we'll have more grandbabies. So there's some positive things. It wasn't all negative. But we need something to hold us and carry us through those times, right? Man, difficult days ahead. Um, so what's going to carry us through those times? What's going to give us a foundation for our thinking through the providence and the providential things that God brings our way individually, but also as a church body, how are we going to think through those things? We mentioned last week that during the Christmas breaks and sometimes in the summer and between uh, going through texts of Scripture, we usually go at our church at Living Hope um, through a book of the Bible, just passage by passage, usually word for word. And you're like, oh, it's a long time. But occasionally we'll take a little break and step back and we'll talk about what are the fundamental things, the, the things that kind of guide our whole ministry and the purpose of our church. And um, I, I called it At Our Foundations. What's, at our, what's the foundation of our ministry and our life and the, and the body? We, we've had a few of those over the last year and a half. We talked about Living Hope's mission and vision. My goal for next week, since it's a new year, is to read that to you again. We won't preach through it next week, but we'll read it and kind of keep that in front of our, our minds. Uh, we talked about that uh, Living Hope is an organic ministry. In other words, we're going to have some programs, but we're not going to be program-driven uh, so as those programs come and as they're fruitful to lead us into the kingdom life and growing in the word, we'll do them. And when some other program might be better to do that, we'll change. 
the programs can change. We're not driven so much by the programs. They're important, but they're not uh, the substance of who we are. Uh, we talked about living hope as an ordinary means of grace church. And what we mean by that is uh, ordinarily God works extraordinarily through the word of God, through prayer, uh, through the sacraments and the table, and through fellowship. And so we're going to be about those things primarily. And as programs pop up and, and whatever, we're going to be faithful to them and, um, and, and hopefully use them to, to lead us to Christ. And then we, so we talked about the ordinary means of grace, and partly today that's going to be the, the subject. And then we talked about last week the place of gospel community. We talked about that uh, the Bible is um, unapologetically plural. It talks double the amount of times or more, actually, the, no, the number of pronouns or the types of pronouns, singular or plural, in the New Testament. There's 2,200-ish uh, plural pronouns, and there's only a, I mean, uh, and there's only a thousand uh, singular pronouns. And even the times the singular pronouns are used, it sometimes has a corporate perspective on it. And so when we make New Year's resolutions, it's fine and it's good to make individual ones, but we also need to make some corporate ones, right? We need as a body to grow, we need as a body to repent, not just individually, but as a group. What does that look like? Hopefully this year we can do more of those kind of things. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the place of of the Word of God in our life and in community. And we're going to be in Psalm 119. And you're like, that's a big psalm. That's 176 verses. We might as well not make dinner plans, right? I mean, we're going to so uh, hopefully we'll get through it. Let me pray, and I'm going to read the first 24 verses. After that, I'm going to read the first 24 verses of the psalm, uh, and then we'll just talk through it a little bit. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for the Word that's before us. We thank you for the, the truths the, that are unwavering, Father, the truths of your word that we really can make resolutions about. Father, that we can be committed to. And Father, that don't change. We thank you for those things. Our weight changes and our um, fitness changes and our health changes, but Father, your word never changes. And so, Father, I pray that as we, as a body of living hope, look into what you would have us do this year, that we would have founded uh, all those things founded on your word that never, ever changes. Father, give us a corporate commitment that we would not just be so individualistic in our coming to Christ and following you and growing in Christ, but, Father, we would have one another in mind, the body of Christ. You, you came and you died for a people, your people. And, Father, we thank you for that truth. May you open our eyes today for the truths that's in Psalm 119. And, Father, I pray that we would see, see it in a big-picture way and that we wouldn't miss the big picture by looking at all the details. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. So the first 24 verses of Psalm 119. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with upright, uh, uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. 
I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is crushed with longing after your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the arrogant, the cursed, who wander from your commandments. Take away a reproach and contempt from me, for I observe your testimonies. Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. This is uh, the word of the Lord. I say Clemson, and immediately you have some specific things to come to mind. Some, some of you are like praising them. You're wearing a Clemson Paul on your shirt right now, and that's good for me. But some of you are like cursing them. So, but immediately you think of something. I say Psalm 119, and if you know the psalm, many of you will have very specific things that come to your mind. Uh, what would they be? Long. <laughs> yeah. That's the first one. What's the second one? The Word of God. What's the third one? It's very repetitive. That's what you would probably say. You would probably have those three things would pop into your mind first. It's long. It's by far the longest chapter of the Bible, 176 verses long. And it's also about the Word of God. It seems like every verse says something about the Word of God. It may call it precepts or law or judgments or uh, another word, but it's talking about the Word of God. And lastly, you would think about it's repetitive. Why? Because every verse talks about that. And uh, those are all things that come to mind when we think of Psalm 119. But what you probably didn't think is this. This is a picture of one who is living very honestly before the Lord, very authentically. The one who is expressing his deepest love to the Lord in his word amidst uh, a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of questions. You probably didn't think about it's one expressing the hardship of their, of their struggles while they're trying to make sense of things around them and even things within them, uh, what's going on inside me and with, around me. You probably didn't think that this is uh, one who is open and vulnerable and laying his struggles at the feet of the Lord, uh, who is crying out with longing and shouting outwardly and inwardly like, show me joy. You probably didn't think about the dynamic of the psalmist who's doing that, one who shares his weaknesses and one who shares openly his questions about why things are the way they are. In all that, um, the psalmist declares great truths about the character of our God, and he says things like this, the Lord is good, and he does good. He says things like, it was good for me that I was afflicted. How many of you would say that? It was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn the statutes of the Lord. I had a conversation with Kathy on the way into service today. And she was like, I'm learning more and more and more that God doesn't waste our pains and our suffering. And she quoted some of 2 Corinthians 4 to me. And that's what it's saying here. The psalmist would say the same thing. It's like, it was good for me, Lord, that you afflicted me because in my affliction, then I knew your word. Can we say that? Um, Then he says, I would have perished in my affliction had your word not been the delight of my soul. I would have perished in the situations that I'm in had your word not been my delight. Can you say those kind of things? 
Would you say that I would perish, I would give up, I would lose hope if I didn't delight in God's word? How do we know if we delight in it? There's lots of different ways that we could teach the place of God's word. Today we're going to take kind of a broad, sweeping view of Psalm 119, partly because we can't go through 176 verses, but partly because when we start getting into the detail, if you want to say this, sometimes we lose uh, the, the trees for the forest, right? But sometimes we lose the forest for the trees. What I mean by that is we get into Psm 119 and we think it's talking about God's word, so like God, I got to memorize it, meditate on it, read it, know it. I feel shame and guilt because I don't know it very well. And those are the trees that are important. But I think that the psalmist is trying to get at something bigger than that. And uh, I don't want to miss the forest for the individual trees. So the psalmist, um, uh, the truths have touched him of God's word, and he's been informed and he's been transformed by the word of God in his thinking, in his relationships, in his struggling, as he processes the things that God brings into his life, and as he processes the external things and the internal struggles, um, he, he's transformed by the truths of God's word, and it, God's word changes the way he processes the things that God brings in his life. Does God, God's word change the way you process and I process the things God brings into our life. Uh, to the psalmist, the word of God is the word of life. To the psalmist, the word of God is words that transform, and they're living, and they're active, and they, they change him. Uh, to the psalmist, uh, they're words of relationship, and they're words of communion, not only duty, uh, but communion. Yes, it's the longest chapter by far. Uh, we associate it with being long, and we associate it being with being repetitive, and I remember I, I set out to memorize Psalm 119 a few years ago with one of my students, and I decided after reading it, like, ah, well, I'll, let's memorize the first 24 verses, because if we memorize the first 24 verses, we'll have the whole thing. And the more I've looked at it more recently, the more I think how horrible, that's missing the whole mark. Because it's, you know, I think, well, I, I thought wrongly, if I just memorize 24 verses and, you know, all the rest of it says the same thing. The whole point is, is that it's not repetitive, but it's relentless. And we'll talk about that, and I'll quote a quote in a moment about that. Um, so I'm not saying you have to memorize the whole thing. That's not my point. My point is we think we get enough of God's word, and that's all we need, and it becomes to you and it becomes to me repetitive, and to the psalmist it never became that. Uh, it was not repetitive to the psalmist. So um, the associations aren't wrong. The associations to meditate on the word more, to read it more. A lot of times I remember a, a multiple years at my a church I used to go to, they really pushed, make your New Year's resolution to read through the Bible this year. That's a good New Year's resolution, by the way. I would commend that. Uh, but there's more that the that the the. The, the God is trying to get at. So what's the most uh, repetitive things that you, if we read the whole Psalm 119, we don't have time to do that. That would be the rest of the, of the day sermon. Uh, what's the most repetitive things? If we take a word or a group of words, what would you say occurs more often than other things? Let me read, before you answer that, let me read verses 4 through 10. This is just a sampling. We could take any of these same number of verses anywhere in Psalm 119, and it would be about the same. So it says this, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. 
I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So what's the most repeated word or groups of words? What would you say? This is a give and take. The word of God? Something about the word? Man, what's happened to you guys? Interact. <laughs> so it, it, God uses a, a lot of words for his word. Precepts, commandments, statutes, uh, righteous judgments, precepts, uh, your word. Those are all in there. Uh, and, and it's al in almost every single verse of 176 verses. I didn't look to see if there's a few that don't have it, but if there are, there's only a few that don't have it. Uh, but if you said that it was God's word, or th that, then you would be wrong by almost fourfold. There's a whole other group of words that appear almost four times as often. That group of words are pronouns. Pronouns like I and me and my and you and your. And I think it's pretty important as we look in the psalm to see that. Let me read that same section again. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways be established to keep your statutes, then I shall not be ashamed when I look at your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with upright, righteous, uh, uprightness of heart when I learn of your statutes or your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. You do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? With all my heart, I have sought you. You do not let me wander from your commandments. There's a lot of yous, right? There's a lot of eyes. It's personal. I mean, this is the psalmist that's interacting with the, the, the capital Y, you, the, the Lord of all creation that gave us his word. It's, uh, we have to look at Psalm 119 as most relational and, and most engaging. It's not just simply a bunch of duties. It's conversational. And, and this is the psalmist saying, I... Your servant, I want to open up fully before you, my, the king and creator of all things, and I want you, Lord, to speak back to me, talk to me, interact with me, show me your truths. I have, I'm the one who is needy, and my soul needs your response. And then the psalmist sees that God responds in volumes, his word and his statutes and his commands and his laws and his righteous judgments. Uh, they're the things that drive the psalmist. That the drive is every processing of every relationship and thought and duty and thing and situation and providential thing that comes in his mind. So the psalmist's life hung on every word of God. And oh, that our resolution as a church, that our church and our body hung on every word of God. It does. It does hang on it. But oh, that we see that it does, uh, that our life hangs on every word of God, not just simply that we study it more, memorize it more, read it more, but that it actually changes our thinking and our processing of everything we do and every interaction that we have. Here's a quote. Psalm 119 is torrential, not topical. It is relentless. It's not repetitive. If it was topical, we would say it's about God's word, but it's torrential. We're going to mention what that means in a little bit. It's not repetitive, although it could seem that way. It's relentless. Yes, we need to study more, memorize more, meditate more, read more, proclaim more, hear more. Those are all implications of Psalm 119 for sure. Uh, 
Uh, but we also need to experience God's word and interacting and changing our thinking more and more and more. Uh, it needs to, to the psalmist, it reoriented everything that came into his life. And for us, for you and I, and for living hope, the, the word of God needs to reorient everything that comes into our life. What does that mean? Well, for Peter, uh, he came, and Bechtel, by the way, not Peter, the writer of the Bible, but Peter Bechtel came and uh, was hanging out with some of the men on Friday night. A few of us were together, and uh, he was talking about how he almost went to the military. I mean, he basically was right ready to sign. He was going to get money to go to school, to go to the military, and then uh, through that he said, you know, maybe God was directing me not to do that because two years later I met Rachel. You can go, he, brownie points, Rachel, he said that. But he said that, he's like, man, God was providentially, you know, leading me. So it, the word of God reoriented him, you know, in that situation. God was doing something more than, uh, than that. He reorients uh, mourning, the idea of uh, blessed are those who mourn. Because why? Because they're the ones that are comforted. And so when we start mourning, all of a sudden we can start thinking, well, God, you've, that's a blessing. Because... If you bring me to that place of grief, then you also are the one who comforts my soul and a comfort that I can't get at or understand or sense or feel unless I had that situation come up. So when you and I come into the place where we're mourning and grieving, we can praise the Lord and, and, and the word of God reorients us because you and I receive a comfort that we don't receive otherwise. And that's absolutely true. It reorients the whole idea of death. The whole idea for Terry, Hughes, Diane is not uh, undone by that completely, not, not ultimately at all. It reorients her for a great hope that she has and that Terry is actually seeing. It reorients things like my daughter. That for me is the biggest thing probably that's in my life. It re the, the word of God reorients those things. It's not like my, two days ago, uh, Casey was talking to me about a, a thing in a room. I'll tell you that in a second. And she said, it's a side life. And I thought, oh boy. And I thought she meant like she was really getting down on her life. It's a sad life. And I said, well, it's not sad because this is God's life for you. And I started, she said, no, no, I'm not talking about that. It's sad that I can't throw trash in my basket because I have these envelopes that have come in the mail and it fills my basket up and I can never make a basket and all the trash ends up on the floor and I can't pick it up. And so her sad life was that she can't make a basket. I was thinking she was saying it. I mean, but the idea re reorients the idea that my, my daughter's life is not a sad life. I'm sad for her in some ways. I wish these things would be for her, but that's the life that God's ordained for his glory through her. She never has, she can be in her back room the rest of her life and that's not wasted. Why? Because it's what God, God has ordained for her, for her to glorify him the most. And so it's a, it's a full and fulfilling life and that's absolutely the truth. So the psalmist was reoriented by the word of God. May you and I be reoriented in all things continually by the word of God, reoriented in the hardest things. It, it reorients us those kind of ways. Um, Psalm 119 says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I can know your word, so I can know your comfort, so I can know your reward. The psalmist in the Psalms, and I went through, I went through about 40 verses and Every one of these, I, I categorized them under these headings. And then I went all the way to verse 129, and I had so many, I'm like, I'm just going to summarize it and not even go through it. I would urge you guys to go and read Psalm 119 today. Uh, the psalmist declares who God is 
and what he's done and what he's promised to do over and over and over, verses after verses. Some of those things is God promises to teach us his word, to establish us in his word, to revive us by his word, to strengthen us by his word, to encourage us by his word in our times of grief. Those are a few of the things. Uh, the psalmist lays out all the stuff on the table that he's dealing with. Some of the things is like, uh, Father, I, I, I deal with pride and arrogance. Take that away from me. I deal with wanting to, to gain things un, un, unlawfully or wrongly. I tend to want to think about my pleasures and myself and not your pleasures and the things of the Lord. Uh, the psalmist pleads for help and sanity all the time. It's like, help me understand the things that are around me and my enemies, and help me understand my thoughts within uh, that are against you. Uh, and then the psalmist proclaims his core beliefs and his identity is, is not in a lot of the things that are in his life, but his identity is in, and his hope is in the Lord. If I ask you after, if I said, read Psalm 119, and then I said, how would you describe the psalmist after reading Psalm 119? You probably would say something like, he's obsessed with the Word of God, right? You would probably say, like, he's hyper-focused. He's just crazy, over the top. And you might say, it, it just like leaves me feeling shame and guilt that I'm not so into the Word as the psalmist is. And yet, if you started looking at it, when the idea of it reorients him, I think you would say um, and describe the psalmist that he's gospel-centered. He's kingdom-focused. Um, he like lives with gospel glasses on, meaning he sees everything in his life through the lens of the Word of God, and it reorients him transforms him over and over and over. Uh, the word of God to the psalmist are words of life and a fountain of life. In it, the word of God guides us, directs us, it comforts us, it strengthens us, it upholds us, it helps us understand how to handle and deal with our enemies, it helps us to understand how to answer those who don't know the Lord. Uh, it deals with our troubles, our selfishness, and our pride. Um, those are things that are right in the, in the verses from there. It helps us to see that our delight is in the law of the Lord. It helps us through God's darker providences and also his lighter providences. The only thing that I think that we can learn from Psalm 119 is this too. It said the Bible tells us to, to confess our faith. And then it says a number of places that we should hold fast our confession. For the psalmist, what that meant was that he obeyed the word and he let the word of God speak into every single area of his life and relationships. It reoriented everything for him. That's what it means to have a good confession or to make a good confession. Um, we tend to be pretty distracted people. A lot of busyness, a lot of noises, a lot of voices, a lot of things to do. Um, and in the midst of all that, the psalmist would say we need to stop and listen Take, take heed to what, what's going on and take heed to God's word. And we need to connect it and converse with the Lord. Um, if we read really, really fast Psalm 119, we would think it's all about God's word. I need to be more about it. If we read it more slowly, it's all about relationship with God through his word. We need to be reoriented to him and to one another and to the things that are in our life. You know, we think and we would look and we would read Psalm 119 and we would think that's for the holier people, right? That's for the, that's for the pastors. That's for the seminarians. Uh, that's for the monks. <laughs> that's for the people that are going to spend all their time in God's word. We don't know who wrote Psalm 119 for sure, but there's an abundance of evidence that was probably David. 
David was not a pastor. He wasn't a theologian. He was a king. He had lots of stuff to do. And he could have easily said, man, you do the stuff about God's word. Tell me about it. I'm going to deal with my kingdom. But if this was David and whoever it was, this person was all about God's word in every area of his life, every single area, every single thought, everything, every situation, every relationship, it reoriented them. It should reorient us to do the same. Can we say, I would have perished in my affliction had your word not been my delight? Another implication, and we're on page seven and a half of eight, just so you'll know. The idea of self-talk. Have you guys heard self-talk? There's whole counseling systems about how to talk yourself into being a better person, you know, talk yourself up from being, like, don't put yourself down, but up. Um, You'll be happier, you'll be more productive. Uh, you got to talk yourself up. Psalm 119 doesn't let us get into a monologue about ourselves. It it says we need to be in dialogue to the Word of God and to God of the Word. The problem with self-talk is what? You're talking to yourself. Yeah, that's the problem with it. Uh, We're talking to ourselves, and Hebrews 4.12, it says that uh, the Word of God is active, and it's alive, and it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it divides marrow and bone, and it gets all the way down, and it deals with the intentions of our heart and the motives of our heart, and we need to deal with uh, the motives of our heart, not just doing things, but why do we do those things? The Word of God helps us to get to that point. Psalm 10.1 says this. I think I have it on there. All his thoughts are, there is no God. I was just thinking what it would be like if all our thoughts were there is a God. You know, this is not saying all our big thoughts. This is not saying that, you know, uh, Psalm 10, 4 is not saying that when you talk about is there a God or not a God, at that point the people don't think there's a God. What Psalm 10, 4 says is the person who doesn't know God is characterized in every area of their life that there is no God. And so they do their relationship as if there's no God and they have the griefs and struggles in their life, and they live those times out as if there's no God, what if we lived every point of our life as there is one? Every relationship, every struggle, every situation, every Casey moment, every Terry Eves moment, what if we lived all those moments and every one in between as there is a God, and he speaks, and he speaks volumes. Not just the big issues, but the day-to-day stuff to be reminded that we live in reference to God and to his word and he speaks into those kind of things. How do you operate? How do I operate? How does living hope operate? Um, I'm not talking about when we, we're being asked a theology question. How do we operate on the day-to-day, the moments by moments? Do we operate in reference to God and in reference to his word? Or are we not conscious about that? Uh, Psalm 119 is not an absolute king of the faith or whatever. This is a normal Christian living. To operate like this is the way you and I should live. It's, it's not insane living. <laughs> oh, that's insane living. You think about the word of God all the time. No, that's sane living. To take everything captive to the obedience of Christ is sane living. Let me uh, end with the, the quote that I said earlier, just to uh, mention it. The the quote that I read when studying for this was this. Psalm 119 is torrential, not topical. It's relentless, not repetitive. When we do things that are repetitive, what what does that usually mean? When we talk about repetitive, we're thinking, ah, it's getting old, right? I've done this before, been there, done that. I've heard this better. 
It gets repetitive, but relentless doesn't have that same idea. What's relentless have the idea of? Pushing you forward and relentless and moving you toward it. And it's crescendoing. And the idea of Psalm 119, if we stop early, you miss the idea that uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist is like crescendoing to an ever greater like a realization of, man, God's word does speak to Casey's situation. God's word does speak to death. God's word does speak to my situations with my family that's struggling or with situations with uh, th those things. It's crescendoing. It's not repetitive. It's relentless. May it be relentless for you and for me this year. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. That's an understatement. Father, we thank you that in our situations and our problems and the providential things you bring our way, the, the lighter providences and the darker providences and the harder ones. Father, we thank you that your word orients us differently around those, and may we be able to say, as the psalmist did, that thank you for your affliction. Because through it, we get to see and experience and feel your comfort. That through your affliction, we get to know your word better. Father, I pray that this year, not only individually, but as a body, the living hope, we would have a focus on Father, relentlessly pursuing your word and relentlessly helping one another know it and relentlessly helping one another reorient our, the things that come into our life around it. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, it helps us through the darkest times. We thank you for that. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.